The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. everything. We build our lives on you. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. 
morning. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, it says, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be achieved. And then follow that up in the New Testament. In John chapter 14, verse 6, we read, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to ask a question. How many of you guys love to travel? How many of you guys like to travel? I do too. You know, I love being able to get out on the road and just go and just just take off. The stressful part, though, is once you come into the big cities, you know, the simple two-lane highway that we're used to traveling out here, those cease to exist. And now we're looking at three, four lanes of wrong directions. And, you know, I am forever at ignoring the little voice on the GPS that says, turn here, turn here. Your turn is in 200 feet. No, I'm going to go my way. I'm going my directions because I know, I know where to go. And so, you know, my principal at school, she shared a picture with me the other day, and it got me to thinking. And, of course, the picture that she showed had one thing, and my mind just started wandering. And it made me start thinking, you know, all of us are on a road. You know, 
because of our nature and because we are a fallen people, when we are born, our road that we are on is the road destined for hell. But, you know, thankfully, because of our Lord and Savior and His love, there's a change. You know, like I said, when I make it to the big city, I always make a wrong turn. I always fail to take the exit ramp that I'm supposed to. I fail to go in the direction that I'm supposed to go. But it never fails. Down the road, there's always another exit. And that little voice on GPS says, hey, take this exit. Go this direction. And it'll get you back to where you want to go. Well, On every road that we travel, there is an alternative route. There is a way off. And the thing is, this table and the symbolisms that we get from this table are God's exit ramp. They're the, they're the route that we take. Whenever we're born, we're on that road to hell. And because of his love for us and his death on the cross for us, he gives us that exit ramp that takes us from here to his road to glory. The problem is we have to make that choice. We have to choose to take that ramp. We have to choose to take that that alternate route. You know, once we get on that road, once we make that choice that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, He will never leave us nor forsake us. Sometimes we take an alternative route, but all it takes is us getting right back on. I'm going to give you a little story about me. In 2014, I graduated from college with a degree in university studies with the plan of getting an alternative licensure to become an educator. Like I said, my plans. And in my plans, my dreams, my desires was going to be at a high school job. I knew that's where I needed to be. That's where I was going to go. And it didn't matter what I did. There was always a roadblock. I always hit a roadblock somewhere that failed me in my path to where I wanted to go. And so I was content doing the job that I was doing. I loved the job that I was doing. I still love the job that I'm doing. But a wise woman that's been a part of my life since I was a sixth grader caught me in the back of the church the other day. And she says, hey, Maybe you ought to try going to the elementary. Your alternative licensure path may be faster if you go into an elementary classroom. So I said, I'll look into it. I definitely will. Three days later, my principal called me into her office and she says, Hey, maybe you ought to think about looking into going into an elementary classroom. Duh, dummy me. One person says, it's okay, yeah. Two people, hmm. Have you ever had that moment when God slaps you on the back of the head and says, hey, listen, dummy. Yeah, that was my chance. That was my turn. 
And so, because I was going the path that I wanted to go, I was hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. But whenever I made up my mind and God said, this is where you need to go. When I made the choice to follow the guidance of my Lord and Savior, guess what? The roadblocks came down. The doors started opening. The path was true. You know, like I said, we're all on a road. We all have to choose the road that leads us to heaven. But we all also have to choose day in and day out to maintain that road. And I pray that as you go, we go through this week, Lord, that you, that you guys see God's hand and you follow his path. You follow the road that he's leading you down. Because our roads will lead to failures, will lead to destruction, will lead to disappointments. But his road, his road is bound for glory. And that's where I want to be. And I have to choose daily to make that choice to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for providing us an exit ramp to get off of our roads and onto your road. Thank you for loving us enough to understand that we need help. And when we make mistakes and when we take the wrong path, we always know that there is a path directly back to you. Lord, I pray that as we travel that road this week, that you give us a peace that we know we are in your will and we know that we are on your road. Lord, bless us through this week. Lord, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. And thank you for this table that shows us you are the road to glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is
Chances of you winning the lottery, one in 300 million. Chances of you being struck by lightning, one in 115,000. The odds of being drafted into the NBA, one in 12,000. The odds of being injured while on the toilet. They actually measure this stuff, and I'm a little bit scared. It's one in 630. And that's entirely too high. That's too good odds in my book. The chances you'll be a victim of identity theft, though, 1 in 20. Identity theft is one of the fastest growing crimes in all of America. Our own Richard Bradfute works on it almost tirelessly. Uh, 73% it has gone up in the last two years. 60 million Americans were affected in 2020. By last year, that was up to 118 million were affected by different data breaches. Seniors over 60 are usually the most common victims. And one in every 50 children have their identity stolen. That one really rattled me. A new victim of identity theft, is, is it happens every 2.6 seconds. Happened to me this week. My eBay account got hacked a couple of weeks ago, and uh, almost 500 bucks went out. They got it all back. Everything's fine, but it's infuriating, isn't it? Most of you, almost daily, somebody's Facebook account gets hacked and and is sending out messages, and we get frustrated. It's infuriating. It's demoralizing. It's discouraging. One in 20? But I'd like to submit to you something even worse. You have a one-in-one chance of being a victim of a different kind of identity theft. The, the, the kind that our enemy steals our identity in Christ. We're starting a new series today, Identity Theft, Becoming Who God Says You Are. And uh, if you'll start joining us in Judges 6, if you're online, uh, if you join us in Judges chapter 6, we're going to be there. Because if you know who you are... You will know what to do. Now, this story is the story of Gideon, and we're not going to be there every week, but I wanted to start here today. Uh, Gideon is an interesting story. We did a whole series on it a couple of years ago, and I don't want to belabor the point, but I want us to look at one particular way our enemy feeds uh, our insecurity, how we lose our identity because he feeds our insecurity. Join me in Judges chapter 6. Judges 6, I'm going to start in verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at, look real closely, Ophrah. Everybody say Ophrah. It's not the other name, all right? I know she's everywhere, but she's not there, okay? This is beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. To hide the grain from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles of our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. If we know who we are, we will know what to do. Let's get a little backstory on this character of Gideon. Gideon is threshing wheat inside at night. Now, to city folk, that's not that big of a deal. We're like, I don't get it. What's the big deal? 
Well, in that time, you threshed wheat. You, you tried to get the best wheat. You would do it up on a hillside in the daylight. You would hit this wheat, and the wind would blow the chaff away. You could hold it up to the light, and you could see what is good, and if there's still trash, you could knock it off. Yet he's doing this in the middle of the night in the basement of the barn out back. That's basically what the wine press was. The wine press was this big concrete wheel that they pressed grapes for wine and they pressed uh, olives for olive oil. And it, would, they, it, would, it was usually a dark, dingy place. It was like the storm cellar. And so he's out back doing this in the middle of the night. Why? Because the Midianites have been attacking God's people for seven straight years. He's hiding from the raiders, from the oppressors, from the people that are trying to steal from him. Friends, I want to submit to you that our enemy is trying to get us into hiding. He's trying to divide us. He's trying to separate us and get us away from other Christians. Franklin challenged us last week with this question. Why are you here? It was God asking Elijah, why are you in this place? But it, it applies to you. Why are you here online or in the room? Why are you with us today? Are you where God wants you to be? See, it sounds like a simple question, but it's really very difficult because it requires us to be honest. It requires self-reflection. It requires us looking inside of ourselves, and our enemy does not want that. One of the foundational verses of this whole series is going to be 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4 where it says the God of this age blinds the eyes of the believers so they cannot see the glory of God the Father, which is His Son, Jesus Christ. The, the enemy is trying to get our focus off of, a, of God. He's trying to get us to look at anything else but God. Because if He can get you in fear, He can separate you. If He can get you worried, if He can get you hearing those voices in you, your head, you'll move from where you need to be. And see, I believe the enemy amplifies our insecurities, our anxieties, our worries, the things that go on in our head. He takes the things that you think and he makes them worse. How many of you play the what-if game? Go ahead, raise your hand. You all do. We all do it, all right? Every time something happens, whether it's catastrophic or mildly stressful, what are we going to do? Anybody? We, how are we going to pay for this? What, what, happen if it's, what happens if it's really cancer? How, do, how are we going to get through this situation? And you have an inner me that whispers words of inadequacy, insecurity. I've said before, sometimes your biggest enemy is your inner me. It says things that are not true, but it's often what you hear. I'm not good enough. How come her house is always perfect and clean and her kids are kind and obedient and mine are hoodlums and my house looks like a zoo? All right. Mom guilt anybody? All right. You ever do that? You ever look and you're like, how come that works and it doesn't work for me? What am I not doing right? Guys, we do it too. I'm not doing enough. I'm not getting ahead enough. I've got to work harder. I've got to get more in control of my life. If I can get people to do what I want them to do, I can check off more things on my to-do list, then I'll be happier. Friends, if your enemy starts saying those things, I want you to think of Gideon and this story because of this fact. God thinks, God's view of you is much more different than you think. It's much different than you probably believe. I'm afraid some of us have been raised in that society of God's mad at me, God's out to get me. Did we hear the words of that song? He is for you, not against you. He is in your corner. But Gideon is very afraid. He's doing this at night in the basement. He's hiding and he's, I wonder if he's not going, I can't do this anymore. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And this angel shows up in chapter 6 and verse 12 and it says, Mighty hero, mighty warrior. God sees more in you than you think. He sees more strength in you. He sees more power in you than you've ever believed. I want to talk about some of our own people. And I'm not trying to call them out, but 
We have people in this congregation in Saturday night, Sunday first, Sunday second. We have many of our congregation that have have dealt with alcoholism or drug abuse, and they've made it out alive. And some of you have, and I'm not trying to. It's anonymous for a purpose, but. It, some of you have a two-week chip. Some of you have a two-year chip. Some of you have a 38-year chip. Praise God. I am so thankful for you. Because you didn't, when you walked into that meeting the first time, you didn't believe you could do this. And you know your limitations, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for how you help others. We have six different AA groups that meet here, three that meet over at the campus house. We want to stand with you in your battle. Because sometimes you don't believe you can do it. I'll call out my wife. She's not here. I can talk about her. She'll beat me up later. Uh, my wife's an introvert, okay? She's a very much, she likes her classroom. She's in that bubble, all right? She likes this. The big big church thing uh, wigs her out. The, the greeting one another thing, oh, she hates that part, all right? But about nine years ago, she came to me and she said, I feel like God is calling me to lead a ladies' class. And that was a huge step for her. And, and now she's helping to mentor some other people and, and how to teach that. At first, that was terrifying. And, and yet God, working through her, saw a power to impact others. Maybe God's working on you in the same way. Another one of our, our guys that's not with us here anymore, but Travis and Jennifer Harden, they were with us last weekend for the family funeral. But Travis is real precious to us. It was back when we had the wall there. We didn't even have the new part. We had the coffee section just right out there in that little six-foot area. And I'd gone back there one day, and he was sitting by one of those tables. And I slapped him on the shoulder, and I said, You know what? I, th- I, think, I think you should do communion meditation for us sometime. You'd have thought I'd have set fire to his house and stabbed his dog. All right? Uh, what? Uh, it was ridiculous. He just he couldn't even breathe. He freaked out. All right? A few days later, he shows up in my office, and he's like, what on earth are you talking about? I was like, I think you could do that. Uh, you know, when you're ready. And it was a few weeks, months. All right, I think I'm about ready. And and as time progressed, many of you know, Travis gave some of the most passionate communion meditations. He talked to people about Jesus. He became one of our deacons. He served because God saw something in him that he didn't see in him. God sees more in you than you think. But our enemy whispers... Oh, He'll never give you more than you can handle. Did you hear that? Friends, when you hear that phrase, that is from the enemy because it is anti-godly. God will always give you more than you can handle. Every single time, it's all throughout Scripture. He will absolutely give you more than you can handle, so you will depend on Him. We listen to the wrong voices. We listen to the, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't know how to speak goodly and such. And I can't do these things. And God says, I built you. I know what you can do. I designed you. I painted you. Ephesians 2.10 that Laurel read, we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. He took time to make you and, and built you with powerful skills inside of you. But there's part that we sometimes blow over. He built you. The rest of Ephesians 2.10 says, He created you to do good works, which He planned way in advance. Do you realize He built you to do some things? But our insecurities, our enemy comes in and says, No, you're not a child of God. You're messed up. You've blown it. You've got all this baggage. And God says, I built you. I know what you've got. Long before you knew you needed him, he was working in you. Abraham was said, hey, you're going to have a bunch of kids. You're going to have as many kids as there's sand on the seashore. And he didn't have a child. So long before he ever held his son, he had the vision of a son. Moses, long before he was ever a leader, he walked around with a staff. The very staff that turned into a snake. The very staff that he held up and Aaron got under one arm and Hur got under the other arm and they, they defeated the Amalekites because of that staff that he had been carrying around for years. David was anointed king out in a field. Now he was anointed king, but he wasn't king. It was many years later. Sometimes he's building in you right now, long before you need him, the gifts that you will need because he sees more in you than you think and he gives 
long before you need it. But I want you to see something else. You already have more than you realize. Franklin shared this last week, that we really are ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. Amen? That was not very strong. We're going to try that one more time, give you a chance to wake up and, and get ready. All right, here we go. We really are ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Here's your moment. Yeah. Yeah, all right, you're ready. We're ready for Super Bowl this afternoon. It's like this and like that and like this. and uh, um, Like six people got that. Thank you. Um, do you realize that Gideon starts by listing what he does not have? What he cannot do? That's the very first thing. It doesn't even register to him that an angel is speaking to him. <laughs> that to me is the weirdest part. It seems like that should have been a little higher on the radar. Wow, an angel is here. He just starts listening. Well, where is God? Why is this happening? Where are all those miracles coming from? It's so easy for me to yell at Gideon, but you know what? I'm him. Because I've been there just like a lot of you have. What are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? When is this ever going to end? How are we going to pay for this? I'm a single parent. I can't raise these kids on my own. Don, you want me to quit drinking? How? There's no way I could do that. Don, we've tried everything with this teenager. Nothing seems to work. And the angel responds in verse 14. Look at this. He says, you're a mighty warrior, so I want you to go take a class and learn how to be a warrior. That's what it says there in verse 14. I want you to watch a TED Talk and learn everything you need to know. Is that what it says? No. The angel says one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. I really believe this. He says, go in the strength of... You have. Am I not sending you? Do you realize that's all he's ever asked of any of us? Is to go with what you have. He never mentions the strength that you don't have. He never mentions the skills you don't possess. He says, I know what you can do and what you cannot do, and I chose you anyway. But some of you here, all you hear is the negative. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I've made too many mistakes. Our enemy feeds that insecurity. He amplifies those anxieties because he knows if he can get your eyes off of God, he's got you where he can, he can manipulate you. He can steal your identity as a child of God. Because identity theft happens when you, don't, when, when you lose who you are, when we lose what we believe, when we listen to what we aren't. And we forget that God knows you. I got this meme that came down the pike a few, I don't know, weeks, months, years ago. I don't remember when it was. But it said this. It said, when the Lord gave you an assignment, He factored in your stupidity. I think that's the realest statement I've ever heard. I, I was like, I feel a little personally attacked, but also comforted. You know what I mean? He, he knows you're going to blow it. And He does give you an assignment anyway. Because when we know who we are, we don't have to worry about who we aren't. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am not abandoned. I, know, I am who you say I am. His character changes everything. Do you realize God built you very unique? I mean, we, saw, we read Psalm 139. He knew you in the womb. He, he knew everything about you. He knows, knows all the hair on your head. Have you ever been to a conference where it says, you get this, who are you? you got to describe yourself. Anybody been, been to some situation like that? you got to tell five things about you. How many times do we immediately go to our occupation? How many times do we immediately list our family or where we're from? Those are our identifiers. Too, too often I, we identify with our occupation. Friends, what you do does not determine who you are. You are not what has been done to you. Now, I get that some of you have had some horrible things happen to you, and I'm not in any way minimizing that. Please hear me. Some of you have had to deal with some horrific stuff. I am thankful that you are here. That does not identify you. That is not your character. It's too easy to be a victim in that. You are not what you do, but what Jesus has done for you. So hear me and hear me as kindly as I can say this. 
Don't you dare believe what you are not. Don't believe the opposite of what Jesus has said about you. You might say, well, I'm not an out front person, Don. I can't be up on that stage. I can't do that. I'm more of a behind the scenes person. Do you realize Jesus said behind the scenes people are the most important? A couple of guys came up to Jesus and said, I want to sit on your right and on your left. He said, you want to be the greatest? Then you be a servant of all. That's a behind the scenes person. You might be saying, I don't have a lot of money. I Friends, you pouring into those children, what, what Gowan and Caitlin are doing, what, what you're doing raising those children, there is no amount of money that is worth investing in the disciples that you have at home. The little mini-me's that you're pointing to Jesus. God has given you more than you think. He even says it in 2 Peter 1. God has given you everything we need to live a godly life. He's given you everything you need to do all He wants to do. Friends, our identity, our hope is in Christ alone. My hope is found. But there's two simple words in there that are really important. In Christ. Friends, either our identity is there or it's in idolatry. Now that sounds kind of harsh, but let me point it out. A lot of times we don't really know our identity until a crisis happens. Until something really is bad going on and we're trying to figure out what we believe in. Is our trust in God or is it in money? Is our trust in God or is it in health? Is our trust in God or is it in we'll figure a way out of it? Self, control, luck. You hear what I'm saying? Any of those are idols. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Friends, it's not just a song, it's a mindset. We have got to get that in our head. That God has given you more than you think. You already have more than you think. But one more thing I want you to get out of this. It's less about you than you think. It's less about me than I think. Look back to verse 16. The angel of the Lord. Did you notice how at first time it said, the angel of the Lord, and the other two times it just said, the Lord? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just saying, okay? I'm saying what it's saying. That might have been a precursor of Jesus right there. And Jesus says, I will be with you. You'll defeat the Midianites. Look, that's what it says in verse 16. But listen to the order. I will be with you. You will win. God first, and then me. I will be with you, and you're going to win. You're going to win because of point A. <laughs> I am with you. But too many times we get that out of order. Oh, we got a problem. Oh, we got a crisis. I got to figure out what to do. Uh, what am I going to do? I don't know who I'm going to be. What's go and then oh, I guess it's a last resort. I guess we can pray. You hearing me? It's got to be our first identity. He's calling us to do with Him, to walk with Him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not about our sports ability. It is about living with Him. I can do it by walking with Him. If you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Our enemy comes in and tries to convince you that you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You've got too much baggage. But listen to some of the thoughts that we've been dealing with for the last few months. We are a people of prayer. Not just we pray once in a while. No, this is our mindset. We will make a difference in our community. Not, man, I hope we could do something. No, we're going to change lives because we're going to point them to Jesus. When we know who we are, we'll know what to do. But maybe right now the enemy has stolen your identity. And you're lost and you don't know what to do. I pray these songs pray they dig deep down and they sit on your soul and you soak in that you are a child of God. You are chosen, not forsaken. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.